Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. This morning I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we will begin our reading in verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. This is what we call a pastoral epistle. Some call it a pastoral epistle. They just add a syllable. It's pastoral epistles, but if you'll read them, we don't care what you call them. Because 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, it basically is the ultimate handbook on how to do church. It is the original bylaws for how church is to operate. And we're going to look briefly this morning at verse 14, beginning in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. He says, you, however, now obviously he's been talking about something, and what he's been telling Timothy is that there's going to be a great falling away. And even in your day, Timothy, even thousands of years ago, he is warning him that there are going to be people that they're just not going to endure sound doctrine. It, it, the preaching of the Word of God, now they're not going to say it that way. I'm paraphrasing now. They're not going to say it like, well, you know, it just got on my nerves. Uh, no, it'll be something else. But deep down inside, what really got their goat, what aggravated the devils within them was the Word of God. He says, you, however... No matter what they do, you continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Then chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. And be ready, Timothy, in season and out of season. And when you preach, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience, and instruction. Don't let it go by too quickly. Verse 15 said, From childhood the sacred 
writings led you to salvation in Jesus Christ? What sacred writings? Even when we read that every word of Scripture is inspired of God, exactly to what is Paul referring? Because there is no New Testament at that point. It's not been written. All they had at that point was the Old Testament. And so Paul is saying, and don't miss it, he said, you've read the sacred writings. You've read from early on in your childhood, your mother and your grandmother, we later learned, they helped to raise you in the Word. But it was the Old Testament. And where did that Old Testament point him? Well, it pointed him, it says, to faith in Jesus Christ. So when people say, and I think maybe they're well-meaning, I I don't know, but perhaps when people say out of ignorance that, well, the Old Testament is about Judaism and the New Testament is about Jesus. No, the New Testament is about Jesus and the Old Testament, well, it's about Jesus. It is pointing to Him. And it was from those sacred writings that he said, no, you, you, you didn't just become a better Jew or you didn't move up the ladder and now you're a high priest. He said, no, it pointed you to salvation in Jesus Christ. I cannot in the time we have today or a lifetime express the importance of the sacred writings. And now you and I have the Word of God as far as the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And what we have is precious. We spent this morning talking about how to do church in our class on on membership this morning. And we talked about uh, how God designed church. And we get that from the Word of God. We get it from First and Second Timothy and Titus as well as other places. But it's not something that we decided. It's something that we discovered from reading the Word of God. It is precious for us to have the Word of God. So I want to just share with you three quick things this morning. And I, there's going to be some people that's going to hate themselves for having missed today. Because I... I'm going to preach a short sermon. And they're not going to believe it when you tell them. Make sure they're sitting down. Don't let them be driving or something like that. We don't want to get anybody killed over this thing. I want to share with you three things about Scripture quickly. First of all, the preeminence of Scripture. It's more important than anything. It's not. It, it has no equal. It it. it It has nothing that can stand alongside of it. Verse 16 says that it is inspired by God. Theonoustos is the Greek word. Theo is God and noustos is breathed. It's breathed by God. And instead of getting all caught up in exactly what that 
means uh, for God to breathe into something because it's just a miraculous work of God that, that he breathes into Scripture. And we know he doesn't breathe air. God breathes life. He breathed life into man's nostrils and he became a living being. So we know all of that. But let's put the emphasis this morning on it's not breathed by me. It's not breathed by great scholars. It doesn't find its source of authority uh, uh, in, in some famous author. No, it finds its authority by having come from God Almighty Himself. And I know sometimes people, oh, they say, and it's so foolish. They talk about, well, Christians have the Bible and, and Jews have the Old Testament, which is, is part of it, but the, the Muslims have the Quran. And, and if you just take that, I, I could name several other uh, so called sacred texts, but if you just look, compare the Bible with the Quran, let's say you weren't even a believer. Just say you were someone born with a measure of common sense. And you looked at the Bible, and you tried to compare that to the Quran as if they were equal in some way. So let's just say you weren't even a believer, and you look at the Quran and you realize that, wow, that did not even come about till after 600 A.D. Did you get that? It was A.D. 600, somewhere around A.D. 610 or something like that. But it didn't even come about until then. And, and so you're comparing that to something that is thousands and thousands of years old. And then you've got one basic author of the Quran, one basic human source for the writing in the Quran. But yet in the Word of God, you have at least 40 different authors, most of them who never even met each other, and yet over thousands of years of writing, their works come together and harmonize in an incredible and miraculous way. And it's not some fabricated sort of notion Oh, I, I, I love this about the Word of God. It feels so real to me because it'll talk about sometimes how dumb the disciples looked. Have you ever, and I, I know if you're like me, you read the Quran quite often. I've never disciplined myself to read that thing. I don't know. I'd love to be able to say, I've read it. Just like lost people tell me they've read the Bible. I guess I could do like them and lie about it. But I'll bet you nowhere in the Quran does it talk about how dumb uh, Muhammad looked. But our Bible, you know, it just lays it out for us. Yes, yes, sometimes the disciples, they got in a fight over who was going to have the best seat in heaven. If you were going to fabricate a book, you would never put something like that in there. The disciples look like idiots sometimes, and it's right in there. One gospel writer says when Jesus healed Barnabas, he was going into Jericho. One gospel writer says he was coming out of Jericho. That gives those doubters and atheistic thinkers the aha. See, the Bible's full of mistakes. Well, I don't think there is a mistake. I think there's a lack of understanding on our part as exactly what it was talking about. But I can tell you, here's the cool part for me. Because I can tell you, I am skeptic. I am a skeptic. I'm a natural born skeptic. And, and it wasn't easy for me to accept the Word of God as, as, as being uh, absolutely divinely inspired and without error. But when I look at that, I realize and know that if the church had a group that was just kind of fabricating a book, they could have cleared all of that up a long time ago. 
Gleason Archer, many years ago, came out with a book called Bible Difficulties. It's about that thick, and it's about all the passages in Scripture that have another passage that, well, this one don't exactly seem to match with that one. And you know what he did for me? When I read his book, he pointed more difficulties out than, than he cleared up. Oh, there were some places in there. I'm not sure about the details. I I don't know about all of that. But what I do know is when I read the Word of God, I can tell it wasn't some fabricated, artificial, whatever, uh, every T crossed, every I dotted. It was simply what God inspired men to write. And that's why I have such confidence that it is without error and that it is totally the Word of God. And it is preeminent. Most church people nowadays, though, don't, they don't get up in the morning and go, well, should I read the Bible or should I read the Quran? No, we do other things that are a little more subtle but just as dangerous. Sometimes, well, we know what God's Word says, but we get pragmatic about things. We say, well, we need to do what works and and, and what's effective, and, and, and so we need to work this into our services, or we need to change our worship in this way, or if we're going to reach a lot of people, this is what we're going to have to do. And we need to do some more demographic studies and find out what these millennials and these Xers and Gen Zs and all of these need to figure out exactly what's going to touch the nerve with them and all of that. So we began to look at things that way. Now, it might run uh, against what is in the Word of God. But we're, we, 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 don't, we don't realize what we're doing. We're straying away from the Word of God when we began to say, well, the Bible says that church should operate this way, but we just know in our world today that's never going to work. i tell you what won't work. It's fools like you and I sitting down and reading God's Word and deciding which parts of it we figure will work out and that we can handle, and that people will accept, and discard or downplay the others. That will not work. That's what won't work. Sometimes personal convictions. I, I hear people say, well, I know the Bible says this, but I'll just tell you how I feel about it. Man, how I feel about it carries a lot of weight in our world. How I see it. Well, some see it that way, some see it another way, on and on and on. I can tell you now. I surprise people sometimes when they tell me how they see it. I tell them, do you realize and know it does not matter how I see it, let alone how you see it. It's what God says. It's preeminent. Secondly, the purpose of Scripture. The preeminence, the purpose of it. Secondly, all Scripture is inspired by God, verse 16. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in Righteousness. Teaching. That word, the diaskaleia, occurs 15 times in the pastoral epistles, only six times in the, all of the rest of the New Testament. So, preachers, we need to be teaching. This is our guide. The pastoral epistles, this is our guide. This is what we're to be doing. So, we need to be teaching. And, and I can tell you, it, it's, it, it's easy to preach sermons that, that 
boy, they really just lay it out there. They're funny. Or, or boy, they hit all of the, the favorite issues of the day. And, and, and they condemn this group and that group or whatever. And they bring a lot more heat than they do light sometimes. I, I can tell you, I, you know me. I'm going to stand against whatever I feel like is, is wrong. I'm, I, I just, I'm going to do it. If, even if I'm scared to do it, I'm going to do it anyway because I feel like I have to do it. But I want to tell you, one of the things that I feel like was missing in a lot of pulpits that, that I grew up around was there was a tremendous deficit of teaching. Ignorance about the Word of God. I, I know this is an old joke that a lot of pastors use sometimes, but you could go in most churches and do this. Just tell everybody to turn to the book of Hezekiah chapter 6. Some of you didn't even laugh. Maybe it's because you've heard it so many times you're tired of it. Maybe it's because you didn't know there is no Hezekiah in the Bible. I'm not going to say that's not all your fault. I can't be responsible for making sure that you grow as a Christian. I have to do what God's called me to do, though, as your pastor. And God's called me to teach. I need to teach. Just yell and look out. I don't even know whether to jump to the right or left. Do you? I don't know whether to duck or jump. And that's where a lot of preaching is. We have to teach people, otherwise they're, they're very, very shallow. One, one of the tragedies that devastated the evangelical church years ago was after the Great Awakening, when we got away from Scripture and we got away from the reading of the Word of God and life at church became more experiential with men like Charles Finney and all of those, and I know they're great men and I know we revere them and all of that, but I want to tell you, when the great revivals were over and we quit having those old dead Puritan church services that people call them, and we started having some excitement and people getting slain in the spirit and seeing visions and all kinds of stuff, amen. Out of that came the Jehovah's Witnesses. Out of that same period of time came the Mormon church. Out of that same period of time came the Seventh-day Adventists. We didn't have a foundation to stand on because it was more about what I feel when I'm at church than what I learn and that on which I can stand. It was more about the experience. I don't want to go to a dead church either, but I can tell you something, friend. You can fabricate all of the excitement you want to, but we need to teach people the Word of God. I'll move on quickly. He says, teach, reprove. The word reproof is to reprove. If you think you know it, think you got it, go back. Look at it again. Make sure you use the Word of God as the basis for what you believe. Reprove what you believe and what you stand for correction. Correction is the restoration to an upright position. Maybe we've strayed. Maybe we've gotten away from where God wants us to go. It is so easy to do that. It is so easy for us to get off the path that God has laid out for us. And too often in Scripture, sometimes I know I'm guilty as anybody else. I go there, and instead of looking for correction, I'm looking for confirmation. We will scour the pages of the Word of God looking for that verse that proves our point. 
if we could lay our point aside and just go to the Word of God and read what it says. Read what it says. Last of all, the preeminence, the purpose, the preaching of Scripture. In chapter 4, two things. One, the charge of preaching. He says in verse 1 in chapter 4, before the living God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge. You've learned here from our teaching that anytime the New Testament talks about judgment, the one who does the judging is Jesus Christ. You see it in the Revelation, you see it everywhere. But it's Jesus Christ. And it's not just by my, you know, coincidence. No. It really comes down to what you do with Jesus Christ as to where you're going to spend eternity. It doesn't matter how good you try to live or if this is right or that is wrong or you're better than this person or, or you're not the worst sinner or whatever. None of that's going to make any difference. The judgment seat, has, it's just going to have Jesus on it because what you do with Jesus Christ is going to determine whether you spend eternity with God or eternity without God. So Paul says before God and Jesus Christ who is the judge of the living and the dead, he said, I charge you. This is the charge that he has given us. I will simply say this. I'm not accountable. I'm not accountable to people. Not in the sense that, and I know we all have accountability with each other. I got all of that. But ultimately, what we preach from these pulpits, we are accountable to God. And I'd much rather make you mad. Boy, I couldn't imagine God telling me one day, you know, Mike, that really rubbed me wrong the way you said that. Boy, I'd never want to hear that from God. But boy, I can hear it from a person, and if I'm not real careful, I'm like, oh, man, I probably should have said it a different way. I know you think, man, you're just a big old bear, and you don't care, boy. You never worry about anything. You just lay it out there, and they can take it or leave it. I worry about everything. <laughs> I don't want anybody to leave our church because I made them mad. I, I worry about all of that stuff. I can tell you, had I been there the day that Jesus told the multitude, y'all can go on. If you don't want to focus on the bread, it'll give you eternal life. You can get out of here. I'd have been chasing them down. Hey, 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 we're going to have slaw next week. Be sure to come. It's bring a friend next week. Jesus would have been going, Mike, shut up and sit down. But I'm accountable to God for every word I say. Then the challenge of preaching, preach the word in season and out of season. In verse 3, He's going to tell him the time's going to come. They won't endure sound doctrine. He says, but they will heap to themselves. That means there'll be plenty of them. You mean there'll be enough false teachers that you could actually heap them? They'll heap to themselves false teachers. I've said this, I know, before, but when it comes to false teachers nowadays, it's almost like there aren't any. No matter who I meet, I can say Kenneth Copeland's a false teacher. And I, there'll be somebody go, well, I don't know. I, 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 you know, him and Gloria, I've been watching them for years. And 
He's a false teacher. Just take my word for it. And read it in the Word of God. Benny Hinn, mega false teacher. He's a false teacher. I didn't say I think he is. No, he's a false teacher. But what I'm saying to you is there's tons of them. But I can't, you can't go anywhere that somebody won't go, well, you know. Joel Osteen, false teacher. Oh, I know he's fancy dancy. I'd give anything to have his teeth. I don't need but about two or three of them. They'd fill my mouth up. Take a little of that hair, maybe. I'll trade him some weight. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Don't, don't look at me. Don't leave here today and go, well, I don't know. I just kind of like, you know, well, blah, blah, blah. Get in the Word of God. And see if it tells you that every day ought to be like Friday. And that if you speak it and believe it, you can be as rich as I am. It's almost like we almost don't have false teachers. But if Paul tells Timothy in the last days, there'll be so many of them, you can heap them up in a pile. I believe you and I better start figuring out who they are. I want to close with this today, man. I've been up here waving the Bible. I got this as a gift today. This is right here, man. Shoo. Black back, got Holy Bible written right on the front of it. Brother Kirk, who's going to speak here in just a moment, he gave this to me as a gift. But on the pages, there's nothing in there. It's all blank. This is something that Wycliffe and Brother Kirk gave me as a reminder to pray for the Connie people because right now this is what their Bible looks like. It has nothing in it. They can't read it. You and I can't hardly get out the door without falling over one of ours. Are you like me? Do you not know what to do with old Bibles? You can't throw them away. So you just stack them up, and i got so many of them. Maybe, I I don't know, maybe you're brave enough to say, no, I'm just going to toss it. I don't know what you do with all of them. So I got, I'd better have a hundred. What do you do with old Bibles? I mean, we have them, but there's in English. So much of this world can't read it. The scriptures are so powerful. The world needs to have them. So let's bow right now. And as we enter the second part of our service today, let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, bless. Bless, God, what is about to take place. Lord, I pray that you would anoint it and you would use it in a powerful way, God. I beg you to, Lord. I beg you, Father, to take the loaves and fishes that we bring, the offerings that we bring, God. I pray that we would be willing to sacrificially give. But I pray, Lord, on top of that, we would know that no matter how much we give. It won't be enough, Lord. But if you take it and bless it and use it, you can take our money, our prayers, our efforts, Lord, the work of Wycliffe, the work of Brother Kurt. God, you can take all of that and you can do something awesome with it that we never could. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.